Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. We'll be working through that passage together. As we do that, we're going to ask God's help just to uh, speak to us and to help us to understand his word. Let's pray together. Lord, you are a God who speaks, and we thank you. We praise you uh, that you, you don't leave us guessing as to what you were like, uh, as to um, what's happening in this world, but you've spoken to us in your word. We pray now that you'd help us and you talk to us through your word, wherever we're at, however we're feeling. Meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the phrases that you hear from children often is, that's not fair. You know, they are bastions for justice. They love things to be right and just because that's not fair. And I remember as I was growing up, one of the phrases my dad would often say would be, it's a tough life. You know, if I'd come out with something like, um, that's not fair, he would come back with, it's a tough life, isn't it? Because um, what I was thinking wasn't fair. It was only a small thing. Uh, and so what you say, well, oh, it's, it's really tough, isn't it, going through what you're going through? But when we come to this passage this morning, we see how God helps us to deal with that question. Because uh, we might, um, as children, we might say, that's not fair. But as we grow up, that question does still come to us, doesn't it? Things happen in life that we say that is not fair, that is not right. In these chapters that we're going to look at, remember we're looking at life under the sun. And um, the writer is saying, this isn't fair. You know, this is tough. This doesn't make sense. I wonder if you ever have said this, God, why? I wonder if something has happened in your life that, you, that has crushed you, that has broken you, that has shocked you, and, uh, that has surprised you, and you've just cried out, God, why? Uh, maybe a, t- a day like today, Mother's Day, brings back those kind of feelings, and you experience that loss and that heartache once again, and you're crying out even today, why? Life can seem so unfair, uh, frustrating. Well, what wisdom does Solomon Uh, through God's word this morning. What wisdom do we see here that's going to help us live in this world when life isn't fair? Well, there's three things that uh, we're going to have as headings to help us through this passage this morning. The first one is this. We're going to admit the frustration. Then we're going to understand the frustration before finishing with help with the frustration. So we'll admit the frustration, understand the frustration, and then find help with the frustration. That first heading then, let's admit this frustration. So in this book of Ecclesiastes, we've been in it for quite a while now, so often he comes with these descriptions of what's happening, and it's a pretty grim view of things, isn't it? And he is looking at the world with all its problems, all its struggles, he's looking at them head on, and he is telling us how frustrating things can be, how hard things can be, how just sudden and things are just all over. You know, he looks at the world, He doesn't pretend things are fine when they're not. He looks at the world and he says, this is hard. This is frustrating. And in this section, we see five things that he looks at that is frustrating. Five things that that he finds really, uh, he cries out, why? Let's look at these five things then in um, chapters 8 and 9. The first thing that he finds frustrating, the first thing that uh, that really winds him up is politics, verses 2 to 9. Now, you don't need the Bible to tell you that politics can be frustrating and confusing to you. But in this section, the preacher turns to power and government. Uh, verse 2, do you see what he says there? The king, uh, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about government and rulers, 
the government and law is a gift from God to us. It's a gift from God because he puts these leaders in place, the Bible says, whether they're good or bad, God puts them there, and the idea is to protect us. The idea there is that he helps his people, that these laws and these restrictions and these uh, things are put in place to help us as humans. In 2011 to 12, in Aberystwyth, um, there was no traffic wardens. There was some kind of confusion about contracts and who was responsible. And so for a year, there was nobody checking on people's parking. The law was removed, as it were. And you might think, oh, that sounds good. You can park wherever you want. But listen to what one article said about it. For the last 12 months, citizens have been free to park wherever they please, without fear of prosecution. And any faith in human nature that people might have to act responsibly and observe the restrictions anyway is quickly dispelled by a visit to the town. Forget Armageddon, this is Carmageddon. Everywhere you look, there are cars parked where they shouldn't be, on single yellows, on double yellows, next to a bus, uh, bus stops, on pavements, and most brazenly of all, in just about every disabled parking space available. You see, you take the laws and the restrictions away, and what do you have? Chaos. God's good plan and God's good gift to this world is governments and laws. And that's why this verse starts, this section starts by saying you need to submit to the rulers. Be a good citizen. That's something we see throughout the Bible. Romans 13 tells us about being subject um, to the rulers. 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for them. Uh, 1 Peter 2 tells us we need to honour those in authority. But remember, as we do that, and I'm sure some of you are thinking of these along these lines already, we're living in a fallen world. We're living in a world where we are broken as well as the world around us. So from the bottom to the top of society, power-wise, we're all sinners. We're all failures. And so even though we are to pray for and submit our leaders, we need to be aware of that. We thought about it last week. We're all fallen short of God's standards. We've all fallen short of that. Everybody's a sinner. And that's why in verse 9 it says, I observe all this while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Somebody in rulership is, is imposing their power or they're using it in a way and that power has corrupted them and they're now abusing their power and they're hurting other people. See, the rulers and those in government over us are sinners as well, just like us. And so what ends up happening? The, the rulers are sinners and they're, they're corrupt. But as well, not just that, the whole system can end up being corrupt. So yes, there is goodness in it. And we thank God for his good gift of, these, um, of government and these things. And we pray for them and we submit to them as best we can. But we remember that the leader's power is limited. That that person is a sinner. And that they will be flawed. If you have children, you will know how hard it is to control one or two or three or four children. Imagine how hard it is to try and control a whole country. Power is limited. They can't have total power. And government can only do so much. See what verse 8 says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, no will of wickedness to deliver those who are given to it. And we, they don't have power over death. Their power is limited. 
King Canute ruled in England from 1016 to 1035. And one of the things he did to, to teach his, um, the people in his kingdom uh, about his power was that he put his throne, he built his throne near to the tide that was coming in. Um, and he, his point was, as the tide came in, he doesn't have the power to hold the tide back. You know, the, the tide was rising and he couldn't stop it. He was there, the reason was he wanted to teach his subjects, look, the authority I've got is from God, but my power is limited. I'm not God myself. See, a wise ruler will know their limitations, will know their faults, but often the problem is people don't. And, and systems can become corrupt and sinful. And we need to pray for our rulers. Pray that they would know their limits. Pray that they would see that they need wisdom from above. They need to seek God's help. So politics can be frustrating and government can be hard. I wonder, are we living in the light of that? As I said, it's no surprise is it to find politics frustrating. I'm sure we've all found it hard uh, in, at some point in our lives to grasp what's going on. But do we live in the light of these truths? Are you praying regularly for the government? Are you praying for those in leadership, both in Cardiff and in London? You know, it's easy for us to moan, easy for us to complain, but let's pray. Are you praying for our MP? Are you praying for our members of the, of the Sineth? Are you praying for them? And also, we need to remember this. Are you expecting too much from the government? Their powers are limited. Remember their sinners. Remember they don't have control even over death. They, we're all facing that uh, end at one day. Because sometimes we can think, can't we? If we had the right government in place, all our problems would be solved. But you see, we're sinful. We're sinners. We have limited power. Their power is limited. So you can't legislate for things. You know, even if you had somebody in, in power and authority who believed everything the Bible said, you can't legislate somebody to become a Christian. They need to be born again. We need to pray. So let's not think and give the power too much government too much credit for how much power they can have. They can't have that much power. God is the all-powerful one. And so let's pray and let's live in the light of this truth. The first thing this, the, the teacher wants us to see this morning in Ecclesiastes, the first thing he finds frustrating uh, is politics. The second thing he finds frustrating is this, injustice, verses 10 down to 13. Here the preacher shows us, look, life can be unfair. He saw, he said, look, verse 10, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out to the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. He sees people walking into the temple, as it were, and look, everybody's saying, what a great person this is. What an amazing person this is. But this person was wicked. And they died, and nobody knew what they got up to. And he says, it's just not fair. You know, they lived their lives, everybody praised them, and they were respected, but they were evil. And nobody knows. See, these people, he's saying, this is unjust, this is not fair. And sometimes he goes on to say in verse 12, sometimes bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Why is it that the good seem to die young? People who give their lives for things and, and are loving and caring, they seem to be taken away, but then people who don't care for anybody else seem to live into a ripe old age. And, and what happens is that people think, well, if they get away with it, I'll do it as well. Look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear the Lord. And verse 11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man 
is fully set to do evil. Because they got away with it, they, do, they weren't fearing God, everybody thinks, oh, I'll, I'll get away with it as well. It's just not fair. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I'm sure you've experienced the heartbreaking nature of people getting away with things and other people just being taken away from us. See, this is injustice. This just doesn't seem fair. So politics is frustrating, injustice is frustrating. As well, the next thing he says is just the confusion of life. We see this in a couple of places. Uh, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, and chapter 9 as well, verses 11 and 12. There's a bit of an overlap with the last point, good things happening to bad people and vice versa. But look what chapter 9, verse 11 and 12 say. Jump to there with me. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like a fish that are taken in the evil net, like birds that are caught in the snare. Now what's he saying there? Well, who would you expect to win a race? You'd expect the fastest to win, wouldn't you? But that's not always the case. Um, who would you expect to win a fight? The strongest, usually. But that's not always the case. And that's why we love sports so much, isn't it? Because sometimes the underdog wins. Sometimes the blue side of Merseyside beats the red side. Sometimes. And then they go and lose to the bottom of the league the next game. You know, sometimes those things happen. And it's frustrating and enjoyable at the same time. You think, oh, in sport, that's fine. We kind of expect and we hope that the underdog sometimes wins. But when that happens in life, it is not so much fun. When you've worked hard and you think you deserve that promotion, but then somebody else gets it because they know the boss or because of the family that they're in, then that is just not fair. When you're working hard, you're doing all you can and just nothing seems to go your way and everything seems to go wrong, you think this just isn't fair. There's just a confusion of life. That thing that you're longing for just doesn't happen. And life just can sometimes seem a mess and what is going on? Life is confusing and it is frustrating. So he's looking at politics, he's frustrated. He's looking at the injustice around. He's looking at these things happening that just don't seem fair and right. And as well, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, he turns to death again. And he says, look, death is horrible. Death is rubbish. Look what he says in chapter 9, verse 1. All this I laid to heart, examining it, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it's for love or hate. Man does not know both are before him, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he says, look, the same event happens to us all. We will all face death. And death is frustrating. Death is heartbreaking. Death is horrible. We thought about this last week. That's why we won't spend much time on it this week. But it's reminding us death is coming to us all, there's no avoiding it, and it is horrible. We don't want to kind of pretend it's not. We don't want to say, oh no, it's okay, it's natural. It's not. It is wrong. It is an invasion on God's world. It's dark. It's devastating. And death is frustrating. See, these things, he's just laying them up. Look at these world around us. Look how frustrating it is. The last thing he says is being forgotten is frustrating. Uh, chapter 9, verse 5 touches on it, but chapter 9, verses 13 to 16 tells us a story as well. It tells us a story of a great hero. This man is a poor person, but he's a hero because he saves a city. But what happens? He saves a city and he's forgotten about. Why? Because he's poor. It's just not fair. 
You know, you can um, do wonderful things in your life. You can pour your heart out day in, day out for people. Give and, and sacrifice. But the reality is in a few generations you'll be forgotten about. This just doesn't seem fair. It's just frustrating. Can you hear the frustrations? Can you feel it? We need to. We need to not just ignore them, but look them in the eye and, and say, this is frustrating. You know, when I read a passage like this, it encourages me in one sense. I know it can seem pretty dark, but you see what it's telling us. The good news is, if you've ever said, God, why? The Bible asks the same question. The Bible, time and time again, gives us the space to doubt and to question. It doesn't say you're not allowed to do that. Oh, no, no, we can't ask questions like that. No, no, don't. That's no-go area. No, no, no. We bring our heart to God. We're real with him. And we say, God, I, I, I don't get it. There shouldn't be any questions we're too afraid to ask. Shouldn't be any area of life that we don't want to talk about or think about because God um, has an answer for it. Our faith is strong. It has lasted the test of time. We don't need to be afraid of things. We can ask these questions. So what is it you're questioning? What is it you're doubting? Bring it to the light. Don't pretend it's not there. You need to deal with it and ask God to help you with it. He's big enough to deal with it. He is the, if we believe he is the truth, then he can help us. So admit the frustrations. How do we deal with life when it doesn't seem fair? We need to admit these frustrations. Look them in the eye. The second thing, and this is very brief, is we need to understand the frustration. Now, before we move on and look at how we can find help with our frustrations in this life, let's just pause for a minute because I wonder if you've ever wondered why do we find things so hard? You know, why do we know that something is just, unjust or just? Why is death, why does it feel so wrong? Why is it that we say so often, this just isn't fair? You see, if life is all about survival of the fittest, which many would want us to believe, then really we're all just an accident. And, you know, we can't really say that's fair and that's not fair because, well, that's just the way life goes. You know, death isn't, is just natural. It's just one of those things. But it was this kind of question and thinking, how do I know that this doesn't feel right? How do I know that this seems wrong? That is something that helped an atheist become a Christian. C.S. Lewis, very famous uh, writer, um, said this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? See, if this is all we know, then why do we say, I don't get it? What if, and this is the Bible's answer, what if there was a place we were made for where things were straight, where there wasn't crooked lines, where things were fair, where there wasn't death, where there wasn't corruption. You see, we are longing for what we were made for. That's what this, these frustrations show us. We were, we're longing for more. We're longing for Eden. That's what we were made for. That's why we know something isn't right, because we were created for more. Deep down, we long for it. We know this isn't our home. We, we long for more. And that's why death seems so wrong. That's why injustice seems so wrong. That's why corruption is wrong. You see, these frustrations, we look them in the face and we say, I understand why. I understand why this is frustrating. Because I was, we weren't made for this. See, let's admit the frustrations, but, but also let's understand why we feel it. And the third thing is this. Well, let's, let's turn now to find help with our frustrations. If we're crying out this morning, why? 
Is there any help? Is there any hope? What do we do when life is frustrating? What do we do when life doesn't seem fair? See, it could lead us to cynicism, couldn't it? It could lead us to just despair. You know, we, we look at the, these frustrations, we think, well, what's the point? This happens and I don't get it. You know, the, the strong uh, lose against the, the, the weak and I don't understand it. You know, why does this happen? Well, three words for us to finish with. Enjoy, trust, and look. That's what we're going to see now. Okay, three words to help us as we navigate our way through life under the sun in this broken world. Enjoy, trust, and look. The first word is enjoy. This is a bit of a surprise coming in the middle of all of this. There's two sections that show us how we're to live our life between now and eternity. Look at chapter 8, verse 15. It says, And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Or chapter 9, 7 to 10. Go, command, go. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be white. Let not your oil be lacking from your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. What is he saying there? He's saying, since this life is limited, since your time is coming to an end, since uh, beginning of chapter 9 it tells us that our end is coming, look at what you've got now and enjoy it. With our end in sight, it should make us give the most of what we've got now, because every day we're given is a gift from God. He, he says, eat, enjoy food. Isn't it amazing the selection and the variety of foods and tastes that God gives us in his kindness. He doesn't just give us one thing to eat and one taste, but he gives us hundreds and thousands of different combinations. Our God is like that. So enjoy his gift of food. Enjoy his gift of drink. We know the Bible says don't get drunk, but we can enjoy the gift that he gives us of drink. And um, wine in the Bible is one of, whenever it comes up, it's celebration. You know, celebrate together, enjoy. In relationships, it says enjoy your wife. You know, and when you think of what, what um, Genesis tells us when God made Adam and Eve, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And it's not simply having a spouse, but it's being, uh, having friends and, and having relationships. And that's why we're finding this time so hard, isn't it? We're, we're removed from one another and we were made to be together. Enjoy relationships and friendships and family and friends. And he says, work, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, work, work hard. You know, he says, put some nice clothes on, do your hair up, enjoy. These are gifts from God. This is the life he's given us for now. Now, we need to be careful. He's not saying you're going to die, so just do whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have limited time in this life, as it is, and enjoy the gifts that God has given you in the meantime. Now, can you give thanks for this thing? Then enjoy it. Can you give thanks to God for it? enjoy it. I think sometimes as Christians we can feel guilty about enjoying things in this life. We can feel guilty about enjoying the world, but they are gifts from God. And the danger comes when we ignore the giver and just enjoy the gift. That becomes idolatry. But what we were made for is to enjoy it with him, to say, God, I thank you for this gift. In one sense, they're like tasters of the world to come. 
You know, it's like a trailer, you know, when you go to the cinema or you see an advert for a film and it looks great and you, you get a taste of it and you think, oh, I really want to see that. The good things in this life are a taster of the life to come. If you think this is good, wait till you taste the real thing. Wait till you experience the full um, film, as it were. But let's keep our eyes remembering, as we enjoy this, we need to keep our eye on God. We need to thank Him for these gifts. We don't just enjoy the gifts without Him, but we, we enjoy them with Him. That's what we're to live in the light of. Our time is limited, so let's enjoy what we've got. It's a gift from God. God has given you today. Enjoy it. The second thing he says is this, trust. So enjoy, but as well he says, trust. Now, um, we, we see and we hear this, this heart, uh, is, his heart is broken with the injustice that he sees all around him. And people seem to get away with things in this life. And, and it just doesn't seem fair. But look at what chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 tells us. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Now the point is here, even though it might not seem like justice is happening in this life, God has seen it. He will put things right one day. Now, does that mean we just aren't affected by injustice? Like, oh, it doesn't matter, God will do that. No, our heart should be broken by injustice that we see around us because it breaks God's heart. But we don't despair. We don't think, well, there's no hope because we know that God has seen it and one day everybody is called to give an account. And so people will pay for the wrong that they've done if they haven't found their forgiveness in Jesus. See, maybe you're watching this and somebody has done something to you and it is horrendous, and they've got away with it. Nobody knows, and you think nobody ever will know, but there's comfort here. God has seen it, and one day that person will have to face him. That helps us in the here and now, doesn't it? Maybe you're dealing with bitterness. Somebody has hurt you, and you're holding on to it. You're not letting go because they haven't paid for it, and so you're trying to kind of hope that they pay for it through you holding on to this bitterness. But if God one day will sort it out, we can entrust it to him. We can let go of that bitterness. Now, how does that work if you're a Christian? If you're a Christian and somebody who's hurt you and, and um, offended you or upset you as a Christian, what do we do about that? Well, you see, we need to remember that if that person is truly trusting in Jesus, their sin has been dealt with at the cross, just like ours. So we can forgive them as we've been forgiven. We leave it at the cross. See, we can trust God with the injustices of this world. Let's enjoy what he's given us. Let's trust him to make things right. But also, we need to look somewhere to finish. We need to look to eternity. As I said earlier, we've got this longing for Eden. You know, the reason we know that things are wrong is because we were made for something that was right. And Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God's put eternity in our hearts. So we know there's more. And the frustrations and the pains in this world should push us to keep looking to the next. I've said before about camping, um, I don't know if you love it, you either love it or hate it, I think. But I think even at the start of camping, everybody loves it. It's exciting, isn't it, to be outside, to have the great outdoors on your kind of doorstep or whatever it's called, the, in front of the tent, your porch step. And there it is, you 
you, you zip open your tent and you're in the, the outdoors and you've got a beautiful view and it's lovely. But then the rain comes, then the wind comes, then the leaks start to happen. Then you realise your clothes are never going to get dry. Then your sleeping bag gets wet. Then there's a smell that comes and you think, what is that smell? And you just can't find it. Then you realise that tinned, you know, beans on a campfire are a bit boring after five days. And you just think, you know what? I just want to get home. <laughs> I just want to go back to my house and dry and be away from this smell. You know, because cam camping and the problems that come with it, they're a reminder this isn't your home. This is a temporary dwelling. You know, the frustrations of this world the pain that we experience, the times we cry out, why, are big reminders to us, this is not my home. This is not my permanent dwelling. We weren't made to live here forever. We need to fix our eyes on eternity, where we will be forever with Jesus if we're trusting in him. That's why this world can feel so frustrating, because we weren't meant to be here as it is now. God will one day fix it. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to put it right. You know, as we deal with these kind of issues, I don't know what you've been through and what you're going through now. Maybe you feel life just isn't fair. You've had tough break after tough break and you're just crying out, God, why? And I pray that this will help you to see that those times, instead of pushing us away from God, can actually push us towards him, can actually ask us to, to see, uh, help us to see that these questions need answering and God has the answers. See, life is too big for us. It's too hard for us to live on our own with the struggles that we face. So admit those frustrations. Take them to God. And you know, as we do that, we're reminded that God isn't far off and doesn't get it, but God became man in Jesus Christ. And when he lived in the world, he saw the frustrations firsthand. The Bible tells us he's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So he understands all of our struggles and all of the pain. And on the cross, he cried out, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? So we can go to him because he understands. And not only that, Jesus explains the frustrations to us as well, doesn't he? Think of Jesus in Lazarus' funeral. You know what emotion we're told he felt? Anger. It's an unusual emotion to experience in a funeral, isn't it? Anger. But why did he feel anger? because he knew this wasn't as it should be. Jesus was there at the beginning of time, when the world was made and when everything was perfect. And he is furious at death because it's an invasion on his good creation. Death and injustice breaks Jesus' heart. He explains why we find this world so hard, because we know we're made for more. But also Jesus gives us help in this frustration. You now he promises to be with us. He didn't just shout from a distance, go on, keep going. No, 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 he comes alongside us. He holds our hand and says, let me help you through. Let me help you through until we meet the other side. He walks alongside us and you can trust in him. So when we want to cry out why, when we're facing all these frustrations, let's look to Jesus, the true teacher, the true preacher who can really help us every step of the way. Let's pray before we sing our last song together. We thank you, our Lord, that you are a God who talks to us and uh, you are honest with us. We thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes that is raw and open and honest, but it explains life as it is. Help us, Lord, to turn to you and to know your comfort and your help through all of this. If there's anyone now, Lord, who's crying out that why question in their heart, please would you help them by your spirit. 
And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.